Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Showmans. This is Jared Sparks, one of the pastors at Christ Church Carbondale. We want to thank you so much for listening, as Ransom said, my son. And we ultimately hope that these are God-honoring. And because they are God-honoring, we hope that they are also edifying and encouraging and, and challenging to you in the best sort of way. Thanks so much for listening. Last week, or maybe you've forgotten some of the sermon from last week. So the passages in Romans chapter 1 we covered last week told us about God plainly revealing himself to humanity, that God had, has plainly revealed himself, and what he has revealed is clearly perceived. And these two words, plain and clear, are presented to all humanity, that by observing the world and how the world is, we can plainly do not have. And he, that there is an all-powerful God who is different than us. He has power that we do not have, and he is creator. And so in response to that truth, however, mankind has suppressed or pushed down the truth. We've taken what we know to be true from the Garden of Eden forward and we've suppressed it and pushed it down and rebelled against God. Instead of honoring God as God, we have dishonored him and taken what is plain and what is clear and taken it and grabbed it with two hands and pushed it down and said it's unclear and it's not plain. And so we have rebelled, humanity has, against God. And because of that, the result of rebelling against God, of what is plain and clear, is that the mind of people has become futile. So the thinking of humanity, the mass population of humanity, they have futile thinking and their hearts are darkened. Darkened hearts have become the reality of the world. And so we see this fleshed out everywhere where we see futile thinking. People thinking wrongly, saying wild and audacious and ridiculous foolish things like this, I'll live my truth, you live your truth, as if that's somehow wise. And then we have darkened hearts everywhere. That's how the bill was passed in the state of Illinois. Darkened hearts who could celebrate about the murder of children. Darkened hearts. So futile thinking and darkened hearts. They don't think. Humanity does not think or feel correctly. In the mass of humanity, okay, we see people claiming to be wise all the while being foolish. And I wanted, wanted us to remember last week that this is, a, this is who we all once were. We were all in Romans 1 at one point or another. We're going to see that here today. But what has God done in response to futile thinking and darkened hearts? Because God has done some things. And the book of Romans tells us about his visible wrath, God's active wrath. And the cross of Christ is about the wrath of God. The love of God and the wrath of God are seen on display. And what the cross of Christ tells us is that we have sinned mightily against God. We have committed cosmic treason and it took a cosmic work to bring redemption back to God. We have sinned against God and the cross shows us what our lives have earned. It shows us God's visible wrath against your life and mine. Here's what we've earned from God and our lives have been weighed in the balance and that's what we've earned. And the hell, cross and hell, show us, the fires of hell show us what we have deserved and earned from God. That's God's act of wrath. But today, we're going to look at another aspect of God's holy wrath, his passive wrath. Because God actively brings his wrath, and it is coming to all those who are not repentant and who don't find life in Christ's name. The act of wrath of God is coming, but God permits in his common grace for a season before people are judged because of God's work on the cross on humanity's behalf, even Sinners who never repent get to experience God's grace in this earth in the name of common grace. God is gracious to everybody. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. However, those whom he is loving toward, he will let them wallow in their own filth. 
He will give them up to the lusts of their hearts, and he will withdraw some of his restraining power. Right now, in this world, God is restraining the sin of humanity to where it's not as bad as it could be. However, he has lifted and took back some of his restraint, and that's what we see in the world, this thing called God's passive wrath. He will let sinners wallow in their unrepentant sin. God is quite active in his wrath, but he is also quite active in his passive wrath. You want to do that? Okay. You can do that. He will let humanity wallow. As the younger brother wallowed in the filth with the pigs, God will let humanity do that as well. So God responds to mankind's sin. He responds. And three times in our passage today, and I want you to see the structure of this passage. So I want you to look first at verse 24, and then we'll look at verse 26 and 28. Three times we get God gave them up. So three gave them ups. He gave them up. He gave them up. He gave them up. The first gave them up we see is in verse 24. Therefore, so in response to everything we talked about last week, human sinfulness, the sinfulness of mankind, therefore God gave them up. You see it in your Bibles? To the lust of their flesh, in the lust of their flesh. And then verse 26, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And then in verse 28, they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. So we're going to have three categories of God's passive wrath. He gave them up to these things. And what we're going to find is that all of humanity across the board is in one of these three massive categories. Okay, so God gave them up, God's passive wrath. I want you to first look at verse 24 and 25 with me. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their flesh to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. The first gave them up is that God passively let his wrath, just put his wrath, passive wrath upon them and let them follow the lusts of their own hearts, the lusts of their own hearts. He gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. So what we find in the passage in the Bible is that God will loosen his restraints upon people who are willfully walking in rebellion and he will let them go. He will let them follow the conclude where the conclusions, the steps of past disobedience, they'll continue to walk in their way and get into more and more in disobedience and impurity. The lust of the human hearts of human hearts would therefore move forward under God's passive wrath. The lust of humanity would be made visible. It would go out. It would continue on. It would be like a you know, a snowball that starts off small and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger as it rolls down in that cartoon and smashes a house or a person or whatever. The impurity of the human heart would be more and more on display. It would just continue to go and go. And it would be observable, this giving them up to the lust and impurity of their hearts, it would be observable in their bodies. So by looking at bodies, you would be able to see the lust and the impurity of their hearts, dishonoring their own bodies amongst themselves. So people, instead of taking care of themselves instead of honoring their bodies, would begin to dishonor their bodies and would begin to do impure things with their bodies. Now, it's going to be observable and it's clear. And the whole problem, it's not just a, a random problem. It's a very definable problem. The problem is a worship problem. 
Because in verse 25, we find out that people are worshipers across the board. Not, there's no such thing as an atheist or an agnostic. There is by name only. We only have in this universe worshipers. We have people who worship something. And get around them long enough. It may be atheism that they worship, but they will let you know, whoever it is, what it is they worship. If you, if you worship the St. Louis Cardinals, everybody knows you're a Cardinals fan because you tell them about it. If you wor- whatever you worship, you talk about. And people know what you're about. They know what you're passionate about. And it's not just what you're passionate about, likes or dislikes. Everybody is a worshiper and somebody is worship- everybody is worshiping something. And what we find out here is that humanity began to worship creation over the creator. They, wor- they worshiped created things. Rather than, the cre- rather than the creator. So creature rather than the creator. And everything that's under the sun, we find beautiful and wonderful things, even created things, people who have made uh, out of matter orderly things that are really cool. Pe- there's some people who love sports cars. My son's, my, one of my ransom, I really likes, really likes cars. And there's nothing wrong inherently with liking certain things. But what happens is that things that are created begin to take over a person's life and then that becomes what you worship. It happens in sports all the time. You see people worshiping sports. You see people worshiping all sorts of things. And, and typically, the greater the nobility of the thing, the greater the prob- probability that it's going to be worshipped. So most of the time, people don't worship really terrible things. Instead, they worship things that are somewhat noble. The really terrible things that people worship, they have to repackage as something good, like women's rights. Because we all of us are for women. But if you package evil things as a thing about women's rights, then all of a sudden something that's evil and wicked and vile becomes worshipped in the name of something that is, that is good. But everybody is a worshipper. There's no such thing as a non-worshipper. Paganism and pantheism, the worship or seeing of God in all things, has been around and has been a staple of mankind, and it is not going anywhere. Nobody gets around this thing called worship. Everybody worships. Addiction is a worship problem, as Pastor Jeff Durbin says. Drug addiction, alcohol abuse, all sorts of addictions of of narcotics, anything like that. Pornography addiction is a worship problem. It's not simply a problem of lust. It is an absolute worship problem. And the Bible tells us that God gave them up to worship created things rather than the creator who is blessed forever. He gave them up. Creature or creator will be worshipped. But there is no other option. Something or someone will be. And nobody gets excluded from this. It may be your ideals. But somebody knows it. You wear it on your sleeve. Whatever it is, what you worship. Now, it isn't just to that that God gave them up to. He gave up them up to not just observable things, but he gave them up to dishonoring their own bodies. Look at verse 26 and 7. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Dishonorable passions. Now this is, I think, compelling. When God begins to describe his wrath... He begins to describe what dishonor in a body looks like. He describes it again in in violating nature itself. 
We saw in our series about being human that nature itself, from 1 Corinthians 11, teaches us things about manhood and womanhood. And one of the things that nature teaches us is that men and women go together. And one thing that violates what nature teaches us is that men are not to be with men and women are not to be with women. The appeal here is to nature, but it's not just general revelation that we have to lean into and say, oh, well, that's not right or that's not how it's supposed to be. God himself just speaks plainly. The passive wrath of God looks like an exchange of natural relations, women with men for women with women, and men with women for men with men, and it says they would be consumed with passion for one another. God, okay, this isn't just the Apostle Paul, God himself condemns all forms of homosexuality. Every bit of it is sin. In a minute, we will see, it's not just homosexuality, it's all forms of sexual promiscuity are condemned, but specifically in this passage, homosexuality is mentioned. And while all other sins against God are condemnable, this sin of homosexuality is unique in a very important sense. It's unique in a very important sense. Homosexuality, and what we see in this passage, is an absolute and arrogant rejection of the creation mandate to multiply and fill the earth. Homosexuality, it looks at God and boldly declares, I will not multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Life will end with me. It stops here. Homosexuality screams to God, I'm it, I'm the point, I'm the end, I care not about future generations. I care not about your future work, God. The very reason God created humanity, the homosexual behavior looks at and says, forget it. I'm the point, I will not do that. I will not, I will not fulfill what you, God, created me to do. Life ends with me. God commissioned mankind to multiply and fill the earth. But this desire ends up, according to this passage, it says that they would be consumed with passion for one another. This is genuine passion. It's real. It's not fake. And it's even beyond just simple choices. Homosexuality in one sense is a choice. In another sense, it's a very real identification of what it means to be a sinner. Now, here's the deal. We're born into sin. All humanity is born into sin. And we don't choose our sin propensities. Our depravity comes out in all sorts of different ways. There, our, our depravity is not a buffet line that we can say, well, I'm going to struggle with this, and I'm going to struggle with this, and I'm going to struggle with this, and I'm going to struggle with this. From, born, from our birth, we all have sin propensities that are there. And so when somebody says, well, God just made me this way, or I was just this way from birth, here, here's what the response is. So? It doesn't matter if you feel like you were made that way from birth. There are some people who are born with propensities toward de depression or addiction or anger, whatever, fill in the blank. Here's what we don't say. Well, because you were born with a propensity in an angry family, you get to have fits of rage all the time. And you get to gather people around you who affirm and call you out and do parades about your fits of anger and your rage. No, you're called to repent of your anger and to become kind. 
You're not called to gather people around you who will affirm your sin propensities. It's this way across the board. But sexual desire, when it's perverted, is consuming so much so that people begin to think that what it means to be human is sexual identity. So in other words, people begin to identify themselves with their sexual desires. Whatever sexual desire I have, that's who I am. So the declaration of personhood begins to be whatever your sexual preference is. Hi, I am a heterosexual. Or a person is a homosexual. It becomes a point of identification for them. And here's what I want to say to you and to anybody who would listen, even on a weekend where we have Pride Fest, sexual desire is not who you are. It's not an identity. It's not something you can say, this is who I am. This is something that is in you that all people have. Sexual desire is a part of what it means to be human. But I want us to consider homosexual desire in light of all other sexual desires. Let's talk about a heterosexual man who has lustful desires for women that are not his wife, okay? Because I want us to kind of get on the even playing field here and say that every single Christian has to suppress sinful sexual desires. It's not just those who struggle with same-sex attraction or homosexuality who are called to suppress sexual desires or to deny their very self. It's all Christians everywhere who are called to suppress and push down sinful sexual desire. Let's consider adultery. If a man has lust for a woman who is not his wife, should he, because the desire is there, does the desire justify itself? Should that man pursue sexual relations with women that are not his wife because he has a desire to? It's not a trick question? Absolutely not. Likewise, he shouldn't get people around him to affirm those sinful sexual desires and say, hey, not only do do I want you to say this is okay, but I want you to affirm it and celebrate it with me. And let's gather around people and let's just affirm these sinful sexual desires. Should that man be able to sleep with any woman that will have him? Absolutely not. He should deny himself. Somebody should say, hey, you dummy. Uh, Snap into reality here. You don't get to have an adulterous affair that violates God's command. You have to deny that sinful, sinful passion that's there. You have to deny yourself. Take up the cross and follow Jesus. You don't get to act upon lusts of the flesh. Well, what if he says it's just who I am? It's just who I am from birth. All I am, I just love women and I lust after them regularly. And I just feel like it's how God made me. And you're denying my very existence by not acknowledging my desires to have sex with multiple women. Again, hey, dummy, you don't get to do that. Same with pornography, just because we have lust of the flesh and pornography is a big appeal to men it's just there, it's available, and there was a big, big appeal for 10 years of my life. I struggled with looking at pornography and sinned in a vile manner by looking at it. I'm thankful that God forgives. But just because we have a desire, both men and women now are looking even at pornography. Friends, the TV show Friends, helped normalize this. You remember Monica and Chandler were kind of the first TV couple that, that talked about this publicly, and it was just a joke. It was kind of funny. Well, it's not funny at all. 
It's not funny at all. But here's what happens. Through media and through whatever, I sound like an anarchist here, it gets us laughing about it. It's funny. If we can laugh about it, instead of feel sorry and pray for God to move, um, then the enemy grains you around. What about pedophilia? What if a man or woman, this is, this is here, it's upon us. This isn't just some weird, far-reaching idea. What if a man or woman declares, this pedophilia desires, they're, they're with me, God made me this way, he made me to say, how, how dare you call me into question, you bigot. Absolute bigotry on display if you don't affirm my desires. Sexual desire does not justify itself. Sexual desire does not justify itself. What about bestiality? I was born attracted to animals. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. Across the board, every Christian has to reject sinful sexual desires. And so we look at this and we say, okay, well, homosexuality is just such a, a strong thing. It is a point of identification for so many. And it's kind of like we think for some reason that they're outside of the scope of God's saving power. Like, that's a real big deal. It was a real big deal that God pulled you out of your mess. And I want to say, well, like, well, these desires are so strong. So? To those who are dealing with same-sex desire, so? Like, join the club of all of us who are having to suppress sexual desires that are sinful. That's everybody here. Everybody. Everybody. So those out there who are dealing with same-sex desire, are those even amongst us that may feel or, or struggle with that, are those who've been walking in, in this lifestyle for decades on end, so repent, deny yourself, and follow Jesus. Yeah, it's going to be hard. But it's hard for men to not look at pornography or not lust after a woman who walks by. And it's hard for women to not lust after the type of man that she would want. If my husband would just be like that husband or whatever. Lust has us, and we should suppress all forms of sexual misconduct, and it's good for us to do that. It's not wrong of God to tell us, hey, don't have adulterous affairs. It's actually really good. And it's the same thing with homosexuality. Homosexuality is sin, and it needs to be suppressed. Now, here's what's so amazing. Men... Lust does not need to be acted upon. Women, lust does not need to be acted upon. Deny yourself. Same with homosexual desire. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. You are not your sexual desire. Now listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, because I want you to see this and how great this is, because we need to be a community who boldly says what God says. That it, Hey, you cannot be a Christian, and you cannot be a Christian. You can be a Christian and struggle with same-sex attraction. You cannot be a Christian and embrace it. Just like you cannot be a Christian and embrace, embrace gossip and say, I love gossip, and you should love gossip too, and I want everybody to come around and affirm my gossip. A Christian does, cannot do that. Just like a Christian cannot embrace sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. And I, I love it. Behold the power of God. Look at this. Where am I at? 6, 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, 
nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, if you claim to be a Christian and you say, I'm, I'm a reviler, or I'm a swindler, or I'm greedy, and greed is not sin, and I'm going to keep being greedy all the days of my life, and everybody else needs to affirm that I'm greedy, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Homosexuality is in this list. And adultery. Forms of sexual immorality. Look at what verse 7 says. And such were some of you. This is the power of God. What, what appears to be identity for so many, Jesus actually gives identity. That's who I used to be. That's what I used to do. But that's not who I am now. I have been washed, verse 11. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. This is the power of God. And we should expect across this land during Pride Month with sin so flamboyantly on display, let's pray that God's grace would be so flamboyantly on display to crush down strongholds, to save people who are walking in open rebellion against God. And such were some of you. Some of you used to be like this. But now, you've been washed. You've been cleaned. And if you struggle with that, you say it's sin and I don't want to live with that the rest of my life. You don't embrace it anymore. This is the power of Christ. It's the same grace that saves a child. We Look at somebody. If somebody came in here and had a testimony, they say, I, I lived in a homosexual relationship for four decades, and I loved this man, or this woman said, I love this woman. And, and you look at it, and, and one day I opened my Bible, and God's grace got a hold of me. And this testimony, tears started flowing. And we look at this testimony, and we think, oh my gosh, look at the power of God. But for some reason, for some reason, we don't say that every time a little child becomes a Christian. Because we, we think for some reason, it's, well, it's really easy to, for God to save you know, kids that grew up in a Christian home. It's really easy for God to do that. Or it, It's the same grace on display. It's the same grace. We all, like sheep, have walked away, Romans 3. We've all been in Romans chapter 1. We've all been given up. But God did something in our lives. God's grace came to us. Verse 28 and 31 God gave them up to a debased mind. Look at verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. And listen to what happens. They were filled with something. They were filled with all manner of righteousness and evil and covetousness. And think about some of these words that are in here. When we think about our, our, these, these things like, okay, this sin, and it is true that all sin is damnable, but not all sin is equally vile, okay? Sins comes with different measures of consequences. And I think according to the Bible that the fires of hell will be hotter for Hitler than they are for those who have rebelled against God but did live a more morally good life, although all will be condemned. Here's what it says, though. They are full of envy. Well, that doesn't seem like as big of a deal as murder, but it's in the list. Strife. Well, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal. In fact, strife is found in almost every church in the United States. Deceit. Maliciousness. Gossips. Slanderers. 
Oh my goodness. You know what that means? It means that people are giving up and they actually think there's nothing wrong with slander and gossip. They think it's okay. And maybe you or I have been in season of your life where you've talked about somebody or slandered or gossiped or bore false witness and didn't feel anything bad about it. It's damnable. It's not okay. And it says that God gave them up to these sorts of things. Haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, an arrogant person who does not acknowledge their arrogance is blind and walking in open sin. Here's the deal. A haughty person who will not admit their haughtiness can't be a Christian. Who doesn't willingly say, I'm arrogant and I'm proud and I need help is the exact same as somebody walking in sexual immorality who is saying, I will not repent of my sexual immorality. Arrogance is a sin to be repented of. Don't be blind to it. Don't be blind to it. Never embrace sin. Never affirm sin. Never ask others to do it. In this list, haters of God, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Disobedient to parents. I love that the Bible speaks to children and to kids. And kids, here's what we need to know. Disobedience to your parents is sin against God. And you need to be saved. Because of your sins. And I want my sons to know this. And I want your sons and daughters to know this. That being disobedient to your parents is not just, well, everybody does it. It's a sin against God. You need to be saved. Foolish, verse 31, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. God gave them up to this. Bad thinking leads to bad actions. A debased mind, he gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. And here's the truth. Bad thinking leads to bad actions. You think wrongly, you'll do bad things. Bad thinking leads to bad actions. Man does what ought not be done. They were filled with all sorts of sin. This is mankind under the passive wrath of God. This is mankind under the passive wrath of God. And it's not just accidental rebellion, it's, it's very, very willful. You ever talk to your children and, and they do something accidental and you're like, alright, but then you kind of suspect like, I, that was on purpose. And you do a little prying and you find out, yep. That was willful rebellion. Doesn't that bother you? You know, it's just, ugh, that was on purpose. Why? And they are giving us a case study. We can see so much just in worldview. They're giving us a case study of ourselves, who we used to be, who the world currently is. When we see other people's children walking around, we see their parents giving them a little talk, and they're over there in the corner. It's a case study. This is willful rebellion. We see it in verse 32. Though they knew God's righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. 
They know God's righteous decree. How? God's moral law is written on our hearts. We've heard last week that creation itself testifies about who God is, His power and His divinity. Mankind knows there is right and wrong, to use the exact same example. The moral law that's written in our heart comes out when somebody's stuff gets stolen, when something happens to them that they don't think they deserve. Somebody says, I don't believe in right and wrong, punch them, key their car, and quickly they'll say, um, why are you doing that? That's wrong. Those who do these things, this whole list of these three, God gave them up, deserve to die. Death. That's, that's okay, let, let's just hear this. This is not some mean Bible-thumping anything. This is what God says. Those who do those things, they deserve death. Remember the list. This isn't exclusively homosexuality today. Those who do these things, the malicious the deceitful, the haughty, the boastful, the inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, they deserve death. It's like Paul is really making a point here that humanity is willfully in rebellion. But those who do these things, it's interesting, it says also give approval to others who are doing such things. Mankind, in other words, will normalize sin as if it is good behavior. And they will present sin as virtue. For instance, pride, okay, forget even the pride festivals, the word pride itself. There are many that walk around believing pride is a virtue. That's demonic. Pride is not a virtue. Pride and arrogance and haughtiness is something that people are walking in and deserve to die for. But mankind will normalize it, recategorize it, and get us to laugh about it. Isaiah 5.20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Careful what our eyes take in, friends, and what our minds listen to, and what our hearts feel. We don't get where we are. One generation... A generation, just a generation ago, things that we now see in the public square, people would be appalled with. And what's going on right now that we find appalling, our kids will see as very normal. And our grandbabies will just, well, that's just the way the world is. So we need to be thinking through worldview, teaching about these things. Don't laugh at things that God hates. It's a challenge to me. So context. Those who do these will not only experience God's passive wrath, they will experience God's active wrath. And to, I mean, make it plain, this is all of humanity without exception. All of humanity without exception. Contextually, there's not a single letter in the New Testament, not a single letter in the New Testament that is written, written specifically to non-believers. Every one of them are written to believers. Every letter in the New Testament is written to believers. Every letter. This chapter is for Christians and was for Christians and it is for Christians. This isn't just for the world. This is training for us. This is, some, this is good for us. This chapter is for us. We need to understand what Paul is establishing. Christians need to understand our formal rebellion. We need to understand. If we don't know the mess we were in, I'm telling you this. You cannot understand the grace of God if you don't understand the bad news. 
You cannot stand in awe of the grace of God if you do not know the depths of which he pulled you out of. If you don't know your own sin, you cannot stand in awe of the grace of God. The grace of God will always be normalized to you because after all, you weren't that bad. But if you know where you were, and if you knew that it's not just those who are dealing with homosexuality and those who are walking in adultery, it's not just those who are futile in your thinking, I, I used to be that. That was me too. I was there. And Paul is reminding them Christians need to understand their formal rebellion. They need to remember the vile nature and their formal depravity. The fact is being established. Mankind, all of mankind, has willfully made their decision to rebel against God. It was not just Adam, it was you. You were in the garden in that man, Adam and Eve. He's representative of us all, and we did it with him. We rebelled. God does not want us to forget it. But here's the truth of this book. We're not in Romans 1 anymore. I said it last week. We're not in Romans 1. That's not where we are. You and I are not in Romans 1. The, the point is being established in chapter 3, and in chap or chapter 2 and chapter 3, leading up to chapter 4, that all humanity is without excuse. Therefore, you have no excuse. Chapter 2, verse 1 starts. We see in chapter 3, verse 19, down through 25, some incredible... We are not in Romans 1 anymore. And the Christians who would have received this letter in the church of Rome needed to hear this. And so do you and I. And I just want you to hear this. Because we have to keep in context of what's happening in, the, in this letter. Keep it in context as a whole. Romans 3, 19 to 25. Now we know that whatever the law speaks, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped. That the whole world may be held accountable to God. And that's part of what Romans 1 is establishing. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the, lo the law comes knowledge of sin. So the point, nobody can be justified through works of the law. Reason, look at Romans 1. This is humanity. We've made our decision. We aren't morally neutral. We're morally defective already from the womb, bent on ourselves and away from God. But it goes on. Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested. Even though that through works of the law, no human being will be justified. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. For there is no distinction for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received in faith. Even though you once were in Romans 1, here we stand in Romans 3, justified, fully forgiven, redeemed out of the sinful mess. We were there. We aren't there any longer. Christians don't stay in Romans 1. We read it. We remember and then we throw our eyes on chapter 3. We throw our eyes on chapter 4. And we remember the gavel has come down. And God himself has put his declaration over you. Even though you were in Romans 1, through faith in Christ Jesus, the gavel comes down justified. 
saved. Son or daughter of the living God. Justified. You've been redeemed out of that. It's what the word redemption means. As surely as God brought Israel out of Egypt, as surely as he has and will bring you out of the sin and mess of your former life. It's over the long haul, but you have been, the power of sin has been broken in your life. And as surely as you are justified, you are redeemed. Stay in the fight. Don't embrace sin. And the world needs to hear this. Even though they're in Romans 1, by the grace of God, they can be in Romans 3. They can be justified by faith. Nobody's too far. Even the man or woman who's screaming out to God and saying, life ends with me. I will not be fruitful and multiply. I will live a lifestyle that's contrary to nature. Nobody's too far. And friends, if you're in Christ, Paul wants us to remember the bad news so we can glory, glory, glory in the good news this morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you don't spare us the ugly details of our former life. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you would have us, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, have our eyes turned backward and remember, oh my goodness, but for the grace of God, there go I. And this morning, I pray that we would have a great sense that nobody's too far. That nobody's too far. And Lord, I pray right now for every brother or sister in Christ that's in this room, we would just revel in and cherish the love that we have experienced in Christ Jesus. That we would sing these hearts, sing these songs from the heart out, and the words that come out of our mouth, everything here, God, would just be soaked in your grace. God, lace these songs in our hearts, lace them with grace. I thank you that they are, and help us to hear it and sing it boldly. Jesus, I thank you that there is no condemnation for those who are in you. None. So God, we do pray for those who are walking in sin, who were just like us, who are just like what we used to be, and we want to give them the grace of God. And I pray, God, that you would save them. It's going to be our joy to sing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing.